Tonight we have a passage that's in front of us that I think sometimes we as the body of Christ forget exactly how amazing our salvation is. And if you're one of those people tonight, you're in for a treat. Uh, As we pick up here in Romans 8, we'll take verses 31 to 39 and While I I will admit to you we're moving fairly slowly here through this particular chapter, it's because this chapter is just filled with biblical truth. And it's truth that I think people often struggle with. Now remember that the Apostle Paul has taken what we would call eight chapters now, uh, all the way back to chapter 1, to develop this theme of who we are because of who Christ is to us. In other words, this incredible salvation that we've received by grace and through faith. And so we now come to the freedom that we have in Christ. And we're going to see this incredible picture of who we are in that freedom. A lot of people think... Because I talk to them all the time. Then maybe one day they're going to wake up and God's going to snatch that freedom back. Or maybe they're going to send themselves out of God's grace. Or perhaps there's going to come a point in time when the enemy is going to be so pervasively active in their life that maybe Satan himself will be able to take away their salvation, that grace that's so rich and so free. And so tonight, fearless freedom, fearless freedom that we have because God has made us safe. God's taken care of that assurance. He's given us a free gift of grace. And tonight we see exactly how deep that grace extends into the lives that we live while we're here on earth. And so let's pray, and while we're praying, we'll pray for Team Haiti. Uh, They're halfway through their trip, uh, doing extremely well. Things are going great. Uh, The Lord's been blessing the teams, been all kinds of people come to faith in Christ, and so we will uh, lift up Team Haiti uh, while we pray for our time in the Word. Father, tonight as we've drawn together as your family to come and to study your Word, Uh, First, we want to remember those who are serving far afield. Lord, we ask for Pastor Dennis and the team that's in Haiti right now, God, that you would bless uh, the words of their mouth, the meditation of their heart. Lord, would the things that they do be acceptable unto you, and would you add to the kingdom daily them that are being saved. We pray that you give them words in due season, uh, words of hope for those who ask, Uh, what that is in them that's at work. Lord, that beautiful salvation that's so rich and free that's working right now uh, through the lives of the team there in Haiti. God, would you bring people into salvation because that team is there? Would you strengthen weary hands? Would you take care of needs, Lord, for those that are working there in that country, Lord, to see to it that the gospel is advanced. And so God bless them and bless our time now with the truths of your word uh, become a rich and deep well that we can draw from frequently and often. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Verse 31 here in Romans 8, and remember, Paul is now going to open this by saying, what shall we say to these things? And there's two ways to look at that phrase in the context in which it's written. One is what he has just said, and the other is the context of the entire letter. I choose the latter of those two things, because when you look at the grace of God as it's been portrayed, uh, what we were, because we, we are shown as these sinners deeply in need of grace in chapter 1, and then by the time we get to where we are now, we realize that we couldn't have saved ourselves, and so God has done that for us, provided grace, provided faith, worked in our lives. We've said yes to that plan, but I think, what can we say to these things? What can we say then to these things? For if God is for us, who can be against us? And that who there is actually also a what. There's an inference there in the way that this is, this is originally written, that yes, it's going to ask some who questions, but it's going to ask some what questions. And we'll see that in a moment. Who can separate us? Who can be against us? And then he goes on to tell us exactly how deep this goes. For he did not spare his own son. Do you think for a moment that God would give you salvation that is so iffy that the cost of it would be his only begotten son and then make the death of his son of no effect because the salvation that you have by grace and through faith could be gone in an instant, just like that. I don't believe so. I believe he intends for us to understand that that grace gift that you've received and the faith to believe that you've received, the wonderful work that God has done through Jesus Christ, his own son, dying on Calvary's cross, paying the price for your sin, I believe that God intends us to know that that is not an iffy proposition at all. That he intends you to be fearless with the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus. But he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God hasn't saved us to, to live some dull existence, barely tapped into the things of God, but he's given us richly all things. He's caused us to walk in the Spirit and thereby not fulfill the desires or the lusts of our flesh. He's caused us to do great and mighty things for his namesake. He's going to go on to tell us he's caused us actually to be more than conquerors through him who loves us. We're supposed to be this incredible force for the kingdom. He hasn't just barely saved us so that we can scratch out some meager existence spiritually in the world. He has saved us to abundant living. Who shall bring charge against God's elect? So it's a judicial statement. He's saying, who's going to enter into the court of God and say, Jeff Gill is not worthy of salvation? Nobody can do it. Because my advocate is Jesus Christ. He's going to stand there and say, oh no, that's not true. The one who's interceding, the one who behind the scenes is saying, Jeff is one of God's children. 
is none other than the one who paid the price so that I could be so. It is God who justifies. You didn't save yourself. Jesus Christ saved you. Amen? And God, looking at the sacrifice of his only begotten son, said, in him I am well pleased. Why? Because he paid the price for our sin. God justified us. God said, that's enough. He didn't leave that in your hands. He didn't save you so that you could then think you need to still save yourself, which is what a lot of people think, they, I think a lot of people do with their works. Well, I got to keep saved. I got to make sure I prove to God that I'm saved. That is not why God wants you to do works of righteousness. He wants you to do works of righteousness to advance his kingdom and to say you love him, not to win his approval, because you already have his approval by grace through faith. You get that when you believe. You see, so many people walk in that fear that somehow they're going to mess up God's plan of salvation. And this passage truly sets us free. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. Who is it that condemns? It's surely not Jesus. It's absolutely not God. Because he's already said, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So who is it that condemns? It's that lying thief, Satan. It's your own flesh, sometimes. It's your mind. It surely is the world. The world says, oh, it's Christians, they're just lunatics. It's not Christ who died, who condemns. And furthermore, is also risen. Amen? Our Savior is risen. He didn't die and stay dead. He died and then rose again. Hallelujah? Yeah, think about it. These are all truths that add one to another to the severity of the freedom. Think about it. Think about who you are in Christ. Don't let that punk Satan rip you off any longer. He's trying to fill your head with lies that you're unworthy. You know, when you get that, you tell him, you're right, I am unworthy, but God loves me anyway. Amen? You've got to disarm him. You've got to take those weapons out of his hand. You have to have fearless freedom in Christ. You need to live as God has called you to live, not in the bondage of your old self that said, I can't do anything to... to please God. That's a truth. You still can't do anything to please God. That's not why you do anything. You do everything now to the glory of God, not to win His approval. God, I just want you to smile. When you think of my name, I want God to smile when He thinks of my name. Not if He thinks of my name and He thinks of something bad, I'm in trouble with Dad. Dad. 
who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. While you're sitting there thinking how messed up you are, Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father praying for you. He's not sitting there with a pen and paper. Wow, did you see what Jeff did last week? You see, the enemy wants you to think that's what Jesus is doing. That proverbial gaze from heaven and he's seeing what you're doing. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jeff's in trouble now. Jesus isn't doing that. He's saying, Father, I died for that. And I died for that. And that's why I died. And oh, by the way, so he can have victory over that, I've been raised. The enemy has no sway over that anymore. Can no longer condemn. I paid the price for those sins. Those are covered by the blood of the Lamb. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Amen? You see the picture? He's saying, look, this is who you are in Christ. Why are you acting like God doesn't love you? Why are you acting like God doesn't approve of you? Now, while it's true, you have not been freed so that you can live your life sinning or in sinless abandon to your flesh. But you're not pleasing to God because you don't sin. You're pleasing to God because Jesus Christ died for those sins. You have his righteousness, not your own righteousness. And that righteousness is not dependent upon you. So if it's not dependent upon you, nothing you can do can take it away from you. God's given you a gift. It's on Him. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword... You see, some people think that if enough bad things happen in their life, that eventually they'll get so depressed that they will forfeit their salvation. I'll just go back to being a heathen. If you can sin your way out of salvation, it was never a gift in the first place. That means you made an exchange. Value for value. It's not the quantity of your sin. It's the quantity of grace that saves. And that grace is sufficient. For as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, counted as sheep to the slaughter. Look, that's, you know, I, I, I don't know if you want to put that like on your front of your house, but that's the truth about all people. Life is short and then you die. In the meantime, you have taxes to pay. This is, this is a euphemism for saying life is hard. Life is hard. It's always been hard. It's always going to be hard. God doesn't want us to look at this life as the end-all, cure-all. And yet in all these things, in how many things? All. How many things work together for the good? 
all. You see the correlation? He said, in all the bad things, in all the things totally, in all things, grace is greater. That's fearless freedom, folks. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. When did Jesus love you? Before the foundation of the world. And while you were yet sinning, Christ died for you. He didn't love you because you all of a sudden got good. And it's important that theologically you understand what's being said here. When this happened. Because if you understand when, then you can understand exactly how deep that love is. You see, it's one thing to love someone when they've done enough things to warrant that love. Amen? Do you understand? If you and I have a relationship, and it's a beginning relationship, and you kind of set some standards, and I live up to those standards, then if the basis of our relationship is me living up to your standards, then I've actually earned your affection. Amen? But if I'm evil and you love me anyway, apart from anything I do, that is a much deeper love than I meet your standards. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, for there is none righteous, not one, For while we were yet sinning, Christ died for the ungodly. They all say the same thing. We were a total mess, and Jesus loved us anyway. Amen? Get the truth of this passage and bury it in your heart. Because this is the type of understanding that when those things come, and you know that you have not been where God wants you to be, you have not done what God wants you to do, that you can rest in the absolute understanding that your value to God is not based on what you do for him, but on who you are in Christ Jesus. And that favor has always and forever will be unmerited to you. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, whether it is past, present, or future, no matter what thing it is that you think can separate you from God, he's saying there is no such thing. That's how great the love of our Savior is. When we sing how great the Father's love for us, we're echoing the words of the truth of this passage. That's how great his love is for us. It's not conditioned on how good you are, or I am, or we are corporately. He goes on to finish this thought up by saying, nor height, nor depth. And he uses astrological language here. He's talking about the apex. He's talking about the heights of height. He's talking as far as you can see in the universe. The furthest star, nor depth, the deepest location, the pit of hell. That's why David said, where can I go that thy face cannot find me? 
Should I ascend unto the highest of the heights, or if I go to the depths of hell, thou art with me? God's love follows you wherever you go. Nor any other created thing. In other words, no thing. Nothing. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now as we break, amen, hallelujah. Because you know what? I need this passage. Maybe you don't need this passage. I need this passage. I need this passage right here. Because there are times that I'm tempted to believe maybe you get that way too. That somehow God's favor is a little distant. Now while it's true, as believers... We are to be as well-pleasing to God as we can possibly be. We are supposed to walk in the Spirit, amen? And not fulfill the desires of the lust of our flesh. We're supposed to have lives that echo exactly what that's worth. Is that not worth your whole life? It is to me. That's a good exchange right there. You can have my sinfulness and I'll take Christ's righteousness. That's a good trade, I think. You see, what's really going on in this passage is we're being reminded of exactly how valuable we are to God. Because you know what? I probably would have left some of those things out. And let me help you maybe work through this in your minds a bit. You see, maybe I would have said, well, nothing can separate you from the love of God but... And then I would have given you probably a handful of sins. I'll give you some that are top on my list. If you're a child molester, that'd be in there. Nothing can separate you from the love of God unless you're a child molester. Nothing can separate you from the love of God unless... You harm innocent women and children. Nothing can separate you from the love of God unless you're the sole cause of the Holocaust. You understand why I'm saying what I'm saying? Because that's exactly how our brains work, don't they? You see, many of us throw in our little things there. Well, God loves me except now because of this and so this incredible passage of scripture shows us exactly how free we are in christ jesus and again not freedom to sin but freedom from sin there's no condemnation because we now share the righteousness of god there's no obligation we're not simply obligated because jesus did something for us we have the spirit of god inside of us now To help us along the way, because sometimes we mess up, amen? Anybody in here mess up? I do. Sometimes it's just attitude. Can't say that I really can point out any habitual sins in my life, but I have an ugly attitude every once in a while. There are things I just don't like. And maybe the way I think about them isn't the way God thinks about them. 
I just named a couple of them. I have zero tolerance for people who harm children. I just, you know, honestly, just to shoot, shoot and just, I, you know, I'm kind of shoot first, ask questions later kind of guy with that regard. I'm pretty sure that's not what Jesus wants. So I'm sharing with you, I, I got some growth in that area of my life. It's like, God, you got to give me some compassion because you don't want me getting there first. Probably some of you are in that camp. There, there are times I think just like Jonah. Lord, I am not sharing the Lord with that guy because he should perish and burn eternally. Maybe you think like that. Aren't you glad you don't forfeit your place of grace because of those things? I am. I am. We're also not supposed to have frustration because we share the glory of God. One day we're literally going to share the glory of God in its fullness. We won't be God, but we're going to share the glory of God. And there's no separation because we experience the full love of God. Christ cannot, hear this well, your Bible says Christ cannot love you more than he already loves you. Did you know that? That's why it says nothing can separate us from the love of God. There is nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to keep it. There's nothing that can separate you from it. He can't love you more than he already does. For Christ so loved the world that he gave his life. Amen? That's what God said. He said, I sent my son that the world through him would be saved. So Jesus, in that sense, came as a love letter to us written in his own blood on Calvary's cross. He can't love us more than that. And so he goes through some threats. Let's look at them. If God be for us, who can, who can be against us? He's saying, look, are there, are there maybe, perhaps, possibly, people of some kind, beings of some kind? Is there someone in the universe that's powerful enough to snatch away my grace? The word if here translates, it's, it's conditional participle. And it indicates a fulfilled condition. In other words, it's rhetorical. It's not saying if as if in there's a question. It's if as it's the truth. If A is true, then B must also be true is the basic connotation there. And A is true. If God be for us, God is for us. And so because God is for us, then everything else that follows is true. Praise the Lord, because God's for us. He's not against us. And so as you run through these things, let's look at some of them. Some people might wonder, can other people rob us of our salvation? Can some other people rob us of God's grace? And where this comes in is sometimes things happen in our lives, and other people are the direct cause of that happening, aren't they? I've had people tell me, well, you know, that person nearly walked away from Jesus because of you. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You cannot 
ever be responsible for someone else's salvation. Now, you can help the enemy beat them up, that's for sure. But you cannot ever be the reason, nor can anyone be to you a reason that anyone ever abandons their faith. That is impossibility according to this passage of Scripture. It can't happen. Now, having said that, we are supposed to be used for God's very best and good in other people's lives and not to drive them away from the grace of God. But I've had people lay such heavy burdens on other people that they wonder if they can even be possibly saved. But you're not responsible for other people's salvation. They alone are responsible for receiving the grace gift, and that's between them and God. No one, no one. Paul addressed this with regard to to how the, the, the Judaizers of the day were trying to put on other people. Well, you can't be saved unless you keep the law. You're not one of God's kids. Can you imagine if that was sufficient to drive people away from the grace of God, actually? Now, it caused them to worry about it, but it can't possibly be that it could steal it. You see, no one, no one has the power to convey salvation to another person, and no one can steal someone's salvation from another person. It is an impossibility because it originated with God, and it rests on the all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ, not a human being. That's why when the Catholic Church purports to be able to grant salvation, it's not true. There's no foundation in Scripture for that. And matter of fact, they actually teach that you can lose your salvation by engaging in mortal sin. Also, not true according to Scripture itself. Because no human being has the power to convey those things. That's between that person and God. Second, we might wonder if Christians can put themselves out of God's grace. This is one of those things that we struggle with as human beings. And there's a good reason for the struggle. Because our assurance comes from us walking in the Spirit actually doing what Scripture says we ought to be doing. And when you don't do that, you begin to think, wow, am I actually a child of God? You're supposed to think that way. But the fact of the matter is, you didn't sinlessness yourself into salvation. Do you understand what I just said? In other words, it wasn't because you didn't sin that you got saved. It was because you received grace that came to you by faith. So it's not about your sinlessness still to this day. There's not a person in here who isn't still right now a sinner. You just happen to be a saved sinner if you're here in God's grace. Amen? Can I hear a hallelujah? Amen. Amen. Because you're now a sinner saved by grace, but you're still a sinner. So some people say, well, you know, if, if you do 97 of these sins... Or, you know, you're okay as long as you don't do one of these mortal sins. Look, it's never been about you. It's always been about God and His grace. So, what can separate you? 
It's not just heinous sin. Now, it might be that you living a life of sin is an indication that you actually don't know the Savior. That's true. But if you're a child of God and you have believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and there's conviction in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit, you know sin, you know righteousness, and you have a care to make sure that those things are true in your life, then it's not because you're sinning less or that you are sinless that you are saved. It's because you're bathed in the grace of God. A third thing. I used to think this way. I was actually taught this way initially. That God the Father might one day just look at my life and say, you know what? You just don't meet my standard. And so I'm really sorry, but by grace I actually meant works. And you didn't do them. And so God says, I'm taking that back. God's whole purpose in sending Jesus is so that we would not perish. We might be able to even theoretically argue that because God is sovereign, he's omnipotent. There's nothing he can't do. We always use the the chicken and the egg argument, amen? There's nothing he can't do. So, of course, he could take your salvation away. Nope. He can't. Because he'd have to deny himself to do it. And he cannot deny himself. He is faithful when we are faithless. So in that sense, it is an impossibility for God to take your salvation away. He's not going to do it. How could it possibly be that God would sacrifice his own son and then say, well, it wasn't quite enough for Jeff. I mean, the sacrifice of my son was almost enough to pay his price, but nah, not really. God's not going to take away your grace. Sometimes we're tempted to think that maybe the Savior himself. Same exact thing applies. He's not going to do that. He says, look, that's not going to happen. Satan can't do it. Satan tried with Job, didn't he? That was the whole focus of Job's attack. Look, if you just give me him for about 10 minutes and you let me harass him and take everything away from him, he will curse you to your face. What happened? Satan was wrong. And Job said, The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. By the time you get to the middle of the book of Job, he's saying, look, there's there's a couple things I know. One day I'm going to stand on this earth and see my Savior face to face. Amen? And God's grace is so sufficient in Christ Jesus that Really, the, the final thing here, if you with, will, uh, of, of beings that maybe could be involved in it. Jesus died so you could be secure. 
He didn't just do a handful of things. He gave his own life so that we could be saved. And if that weren't enough, he was then raised from the dead, proving the victory that he had over the sin. And the penalty, which is death. Sin was the wages that we worked with. The wages of sin is death. And so Jesus paid it. Taken care of. Death paid the price and his resurrection was proof that it was paid. It's like, look, here's the payment, here's the receipt. My death is the payment, here's the receipt, I'm risen. You want to know if I paid it? Right there. There's the scar. Of course it was sufficient. The third thing, with this regard, Jesus himself sits at the right hand of God. There's an interesting thing that happened. One of the reasons that when you went inside of the holy place, not the holy of holies, though it was true in there as well, but inside the holy place, once you entered into the temple proper itself, there were no seats. Do you know why that is? Because they were never done offering sacrifice, because sin continually happened, and so inside the temple, no one could sit down because they were never done. So what's Jesus doing now, sitting at the right hand of God the Father? He's saying, debt's paid. It's done. I can sit down, and now I'll just pray. Father, Jeff needs some help. Jeff's struggling right now, God. You need to send some angels to minister to him. But no more sacrifice needs to be paid because the one sacrifice was sufficient. And so Jesus takes on that role of intercessor just as the prophet Isaiah had prophesied. That's what Isaiah 53 reminds us. He was poured out himself unto death, numbered with the transgressors, and yet he himself bore the sin of many and then interceded for the transgressors. Jesus is now our intercessor. Took care of it. So if Christ had the power to redeem us out of the bondage of sin, how could he not have the power to keep us? Think about it. And yet sometimes we act like, well, you know, I think I'm saved. Now let me digress for just a moment. There's a reason that that happens often in our lives because we're actively engaged in sin. And so the enemy is able to beat you up with the fact that you're not doing what you know you need to do. That's kind of like saying, I know I have a problem. Here's the thing that I have a problem with. Please beat me with it. No, when you know to do good, you need to do good. When you know something's sin, you need to not do that thing. Because then the enemy's going to be going, see, no victory. You give him some tools to slap you around a little bit. Please don't do that. He moves on here and it's very clear what's being said. So he goes from beings and, and... I gave you some of the big ones, other people, yourself, Satan, God, Jesus. Nobody's going to snatch back your grace. 
Because it's just that, it's grace. Oh, what about threatening circumstances? Things in life, unpleasant things, dangerous things. Very often people think if they just stay clean, they're okay. If no thing befalls them that somehow that makes you pleasing to God. Look, the the agent that worked in your life to provide that grace that you now walk in in Christ Jesus was never works. It was faith, amen? Isn't that what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says? For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. You see, the faith that you got to believe was given to you as a gift and then you were given grace, God's unmerited favor. So it actually wasn't circumstantial to begin with, Amen? It was based on faith. You believed. That's why Jesus said to people, it's enough that you believe. He said to the disciples, when he was asked, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's always been about believing. It's never been about what you do. Now, what you do will match what you believe. Amen? That's also true. But get the order correct. Because people walk not in victory, but in defeat, because they don't get this principle. You see, the first threatening circumstance that might drive you supposedly away from God and out of His grace, tribulation. It means being squeezed and put under pressure. Some people think, wow, you know, I'm just under too much pressure. You know, my family's this way, or my job's that way, or my marriage is this way, or my kids are that way, or, man, financially, I'm just being pressured constantly. And I just don't know that, I, I don't know. There's no such thing as pressure that comes to you that's able to snatch away the grace of God. Now, you can hand the enemy the tools to beat you. But if you are a child of God to begin with, that pressure will, Scripture says, refine you. It'll produce in you actually patience, is what James said about it. The testing of your faith. The second threatening circumstance is persecution or distress. Distress is those things that just get to the heart of who we are. It's... You're hemmed in by your emotions. You don't know how to feel about something. The Bible says that can't steal away the grace of God. Oh, it can make it hard to see at times, but it can't take it from you. Persecution, those things that are affliction, but they're solely for the sake of Christ, that ridicule. Things that are said about you because you're a believer in Christ Jesus. Oh, it can look like maybe it's just time to throw in the towel. But if you're really one of God's kids, His grace is sufficient for persecution. His grace is sufficient for distress. His grace is sufficient even for famine. You see, the answer to all these things is the grace of God that's in us. And nakedness. Not having what we need. You see, because if you had to have something in order to be a believer in Christ Jesus, then a pretty good chunk of the first century believers would have never gotten saved because they were all persecuted. They were all distressed. 
They were all hungry. There were most of them had one cloak, if they had anything. They may have had some sandals. Maybe they were barefoot. Peril. They lived in constant peril. I'm kind of, I'm one of those people, I'm, I'm kind of shocked sometimes at the amount of time and effort and energy. It's like I, I'm watching people watch on their cell phone. They're constantly checking their house to see if it's being broken into. Now, I'm not saying that you should, you know, just throw caution to the wind, leave your doors open, and put a sign up that says, come steal my stuff. But it's like we, we've gotten to the place to where there, there's, this, there's this attachment to the things of the world that is, not healthy for a child of God. If God can't protect your home, why would you trust him with your life? People will often, they'll ask you, well, you know, you're going to that country or this country. You know, it's dangerous there. I go, I know. I'm not going to do anything dumb. You know, I'm not going to walk around disrespecting people so they want to shoot me. But look, life's not safe. My salvation is not based on my earthly safety. It's based on my heavenly safety in Christ Jesus. Amen? Oh, peril. Imagine how many missionaries would never have gone into the field. Well, it's perilous. Not going to get... It's crazy. If our salvation is based on any of these things, and you have to have these things in order to think that you're saved or feel that you're saved. And even the sword, even the threat, and that, the picture there is the threat of death. It's the threat of death. That can't take the grace of God from you. It shouldn't steal the grace of God out of your life. We need to let God have all of us including our emotions, including our, our situations, the things that we cling to and think we want to, well, God, I'll let you control this, but not this. We're wholly His. You see, the grace that you walk in is absolutely free, but it definitely is not cheap. It's absolutely free, but it is not cheap. I was on a website. To, I, I, I kind of like to just look for weird things on the website every once in a while. And I was, it, it's amazing what you can order from China. You can like get a whole cargo container of stuff if you want. I thought it was kind of cool. And so I was looking at, I was looking at these kayaks. And so I'm, I'm Googling uh, kayaks to fish out of because I like fishing. Jesus liked fishing. And yes, I'm trying to justify why I was looking for kayaks. So I'm looking, and, and, and I get to this website, and you literally can make deals with people in China for whole cargo containers full of fishing kayaks. And so I, I'm like, well, if I ordered 20 of them, I could sell them. And I'm, thinking, I'm going through all this, the mental gymnastics of all this stuff. And I'm thinking, but they're cheap. And they're probably Worth exactly what I'm paying for them. Because they're not very good. Now you can get the real expensive ones that are made here in California by Hobie. Or you can get the ones that are made in China that are like six ninety five a dozen. 
There's no alternative to the one product called God's grace. It's not available anywhere else. And so if you have the real thing, it costs Jesus his life and God his son. And it's unbelievably valuable. And yet it's free to us. He gives it to us as a gift for simply believing by faith that Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin and has now freed us from the the penalty of it. You see, the things of the world can tug at us, but they shouldn't keep us from walking with the Lord. That's why we can overwhelmingly conquer That's why we can hyper-conquer is another way to look at it. When we are more than conquerors, it means that we are all sufficient conquerors in Christ Jesus. We're we're like the gold-plated version of life. We have what the whole world needs already. And we walk around as conquerors coming out of those troubles that you came from when you first believed, think about how those things were conquered in your life. And I know because I've talked to some of you in this room. The things that God delivered us from. Amen? Things that we used to be. Ways that we used to live. We are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. That's a sure sign that we got a gift, and that gift is unbelievably valuable. Overwhelmingly so. And the conclusion to this is really a question. I'm convinced, Paul says, that not even death itself... You know what's crazy about human beings? Human beings universally fear death. I can prove that to you. I can point a gun right at you, pull the hammer back, and you're kind of like, ooh, he's nuts. And you're going to start moving and walking away because you do not want to be in line with that barrel. Because you value your own life because there is an uncertainty that goes with passing from this life into the next. Now, for we who believe, that becomes a whole different issue. Because we know what's going to happen the moment that we exit from this life into the next. Amen? Amen. So what he's saying here is, look, there's nothing that can threaten that. Not death, nor life, how you live life. In other words, if you live life, so to speak, or angels, or principalities, or no matter when those things have affected your life, things present, things to come, powers, nor height or depth, or any, just in case, I love the way he says this, just in case I missed anything or any other created thing. What exists in the universe? Created things. There is nothing in the universe that is not created. I want you to see this. 
He's basically saying, in case I missed anything, everything in the entire universe cannot get to you. Doesn't matter what it is. No other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, when you read that, you should have fearless freedom. Not freedom to sin or live your life with abandon towards your flesh, but freedom from sin to live your life knowing that the grace of God is sufficient for all that you have need of. And knowing that you are secure in that, assured of that, because it came from Him, purchased by Him, done for you, handed to you as a gift. And there isn't a being in the universe that can take it away. It's not based on you not sinning. And again, please do not misunderstand what I said there. That was not a freedom for you to go do whatever you want. That's just simply saying those behaviors that you know are not well-pleasing to God are not the reason that you either got saved, and they won't be the reason that someone is not saved. Grace saves. Faith allows you to believe, to receive that grace. And those came from God. You have to get that. Otherwise, you walk around wondering whether you're a child of God. Otherwise, you sit there going, I I don't really know. And here's the crazy thing about that. Then the enemy gets into your mind. and says, well, yeah, well, you're surely not saved. Now, I'm going to do a little blind test right now, and I'd ask you to be honest. How many of you, if you've walked with the Lord for, let's say, even a year, you're here and you've walked with the Lord for at least a year, how many of you have ever thought that you weren't saved? I have. I have. That's how prevalent that problem is. That's why this passage is in your Bible. Because the things that I have thought personally in my own life were the things that were just mentioned in this passage. Well, maybe I sinned my way out of God's grace. Well, you know, after all, what happened to me when I was a child, how could I really be saved? Nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you have said yes to that grace gift and you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart and you have confessed to him that you are a sinner and you need a Savior and you have invited him to take up residence in your life and say, I didn't do such a great job of running my life. I'm asking you to do it for me because I want you to be my Lord, not just my Savior. And there has been a consequent change. In other words, something happened in your life, as minuscule as it may be, that says, I I know in whom I have believed that he is able to keep that unto the day of Christ Jesus, then nothing can steal that from you. Because it was a gift. 
and it rests in the hands of God. God's not waiting for you to take your little greasy fingers and and maybe it slips out. He's got you. You don't have him. I remember when our boys were little. Now they could do this for me. But I remember when our boys were little. When we'd do something dangerous, we'd go backpacking in the icy areas when they were still young. We were crossing over a creek. I didn't say, hey, why don't you grab hold of me? I grabbed hold of them. And I put a death grip on them. I grabbed a piece of the jacket, a hand, and and we went together. But I had them so that no harm could befall them. Dad had them. Dad has you. Dad's got you. He's got a grip on you. And he's not going to get weak in his grip. His hands aren't going to get all sweaty. Whoops, drop Jeff. (laughs) Bummer. It's not going to be because some angel distracted him. It's not going to be some principality, some demon comes flying by. It's like, wow, I just didn't see that coming. And it won't matter when it happens, not now, not today, not tomorrow, or all the way into the future, to eternity. You don't have to fear, and don't please, don't live in fear. Christians water, well, you know, we're going to get hit by an asteroid. We're going to go extinct. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you're saved, you're going to heaven. Bring the asteroids. North Korea, all right, so they get nuclear weapons. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do something about it. But you know, if you're ground zero, you're ground zero. It's your time to go. You know where you're going. Don't walk around in fear like, oh. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's real freedom, friends. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Now, having said that, having told you how great the grace gift is, I'm going to have some pastors come up to the front and and be available for prayer. And, And I want to remind you that gifts have to be received. Amen? There can be a gift waiting for you, but you got to open the gift is another way to look at it. I've just told you about the gift. I've just spoken the gospel message. And so I'm going to simply ask, if you're here tonight and you've been wondering whether you're a child of God or not, and you don't know for sure, you don't know for sure, you don't know that you've ever invited Jesus Christ into your life. You don't know that you've ever asked him to forgive your sin. And to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You don't know that you've done that. Maybe you've been religious for part of your life. And you thought that going to church gives you a relationship with Jesus. Going to church doesn't give you a relationship with Jesus. Receiving the gift of God's grace is the only way to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. There is no other name. There is no other way. 
He's the one way, the one truth, and the one life. John was right. So if you're here tonight and you want to receive Christ as your Savior, as these pastors come forward, I'm going to ask you to come forward. Because tonight, you can simply invite him into your life, and then you can walk in this fearless freedom too. Because those of us that know the Lord, we have that freedom and that fearlessness. I do not know what tomorrow holds, but I do know who holds it. And his word to me is, all things work together for the good, for those who love him, and are they called according to his purposes? His word to me is, nothing can separate me from that love. And so tonight, if you don't know the Lord, then I want to invite you to come and to give your life to Christ. If you do, and you've been walking in fear, you've not walked in victory, you're not more than a conqueror tonight. You're barely hanging on, but you want to be a conqueror. Then you come and be prayed for. Ask God to to put that conquering spirit within you that you would know who you are as a child of God. And for the rest of us, in Jesus' name, please, now is not time for weak Christians. Now is not time that we we walk in, in, in meagerness, but in boldness of faith and in strength, recognizing that the time is short. The Lord may return at any moment for his church. And, and we need to be walking in victory so that the world can see what that looks like. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. Thank you for that rich, free, abundant, beautiful, wonderful grace wherein we have been saved. Thank you that it's a gift through faith. Pray tonight if there's anyone here that does not know you, that God, that you're calling right now by the power of your Holy Spirit men unto repentance. And so, Lord, I ask that you would stir them to action, Lord, to put feet to that faith, Lord, to to come and to confess their sin and to be healed of it, freed from it, and to have their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. God, Lord, for the less than victorious ones that are maybe here tonight, God, would today be the first day of the rest of their life where they walk in victory over sin because of who they are in you, Jesus. So, God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We bless your holy name. Thank you for that fearlessness that allows us to walk in grace. We ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen.